was pretty much an independent contractor every time. I work okay. for myself. Okay. So you only work as hard as you want, but you never work harder for anybody than you do for yourself. Oh. So your success is based on you. Mm -hmm. not, you can't blame it on a boss. You can't blame it on the structure. You are either making it or not, or not, or not, or not, or not. Same business, different day. Good afternoon and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Same Business Different Day podcast. I am your host, Zeke Corley, recording from our incredible studio here in at the Film Hub in hot Vista, California. I don't, I don't know if I would call this a heat wave. You know, they call this the climatic wonderland, Vista, national, in, in the nation, the climatic wonderland. That's the moniker for us. And uh, right now, I'm not sure that's true. Um, but I guess that's just based on temperature annually, but today I'm excited. Um, I'm really excited. My guests today are two of my favorite people. Uh, they offered to come separately, but it only makes sense that they come as a pair and you guys will soon understand why. Uh, we're so glad that they found the time to sit down with us today. It is with absolute pleasure that I welcome Kim and Scott, the great, what's up your last name? I'm sorry. Kim and Scott Flynn to the same business, different day podcast. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thanks Thank you. for inviting us. Pleasure. Right. You guys are going to keep pretending like you guys. <laughs> we can do this. We can do this all day. Eventually, we're going to start laughing. Now, um, now, the key to this show is uh, to walk through the journey, right? Um, as I explained to you and I explained uh, to the listeners, um, the key of the importance of seeing the journeys is to kind of figure out where you might fit in, where those parallels are, where you are right now. And then you see these twists and turns that some of our business owners have taken. And then you can say, hey, maybe I can do it too. You know, oh, that was that left turn that I should have taken. And, and then you kind of bring things back and, and put yourself in, in, that, in those shoes, you know, into perspective. And I, I like approaching it from that way, you know, uh, you can see more things in common with people than you can apart. Right. So, um, so we'll get to know, we'll start with the early experiences before we kind of reveal where you guys are today. Well, okay. So, um, Scott, where did you grow up? Grew up in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. beautiful Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and went to, uh, undergrad just North of there, a couple hours North in there, a place called Allegheny college, okay. small division three school, little pre-med factory. That's okay. why I went there. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. You knew. That's what I was going to ask you. What did you want to be when you grew up? It, was it not until then that you realized that? Or was there some no, influences probably, early on? Probably since I was four or five years old. Really? Yes. Wow. And that's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is, of course, you know what you want to do. And okay, let's go get it. Mm -hmm. So the You curtain, knew what you wanted to do. Were there doctors what in the family? What, what, no. what kind of brought you to that? No idea. Do you want to help people? Did, what you know, it's, the reason I'm asking is because it's funny. Um, for me, I used to say it a lot when I was a kid. I wanted to be a doctor, right? You, you have these professions, the bigger professions, that's what you tell these adults that are all around you. I got my aunts and uncles. What do you want to be when you grow up? They all ask you. 
And I said, I want to be a doctor. Oh, he's going to be a doctor. He's so smart. He's, you know, and, and then, you know, I didn't know if I ever really believed it. I just liked the reaction, but you believed it. You, oh, yeah. you were into that hundred percent. Yeah. Maybe when I was a kid and we'd go to the doctor's office, I remember one specific episode. I had a horrible case of tonsillitis. Okay. And we waited three hours. It was hot like it is today. We're mm-hmm. No air conditioning in the waiting room, 30 kids around all that. We finally go in and doctor looks at me. That's about three minutes. Yep, that's probably strep. Mm. Okay, nurse, wham, got nailed with a penicillin. Two days later, I was great. Mm, so okay. I was like, well, well that's kind of cool. How does that work? <laughs> Tell me more about that. And we mm. go in and see him, and he was uh, an old-time general practitioner and just hanging out there a little bit. It's like, oh, that looks like really cool stuff. How do you know what to do, where, when? Yeah. And just kept going. That's interesting, you know, because I guess that you could see that same kind of conversation with like a mechanic or something yeah. like that, right? How's they, that they car work? Fixed it, yeah. yeah. And so now let me see what you did and how you did that. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. So, yep. but yeah, you took that to the human body. Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. How about uh, other mentors? Any other uh, folks around you that were influential to you during that uh, that time? Well, um, just my aunt and uncle in particular, he had gone to law school. So he had been to graduate school. My mom and dad were both teachers and been to a teacher's college. They they, they hadn't been to a real university or anything. So listen to him talking about, you know, going on to something more than just undergraduate. Mm -hmm. was kind of interesting. So that, that helped me too. Beautiful. Yeah. How about you, Kim? Where'd you grow up? Well. Yes. I grew up, I call Chicago home. Okay. Um, my dad was vice president at International Harvester Trucks, so we moved a lot every two years. I was in three high schools, Chicago, Boston, and New Jersey. International Harvester Trucks, is that what trucks. you said? Mm-hmm. It, uh, so is it a trucking business, a trucking service, and that's why you moved a lot? Very large trucking company. Okay. Okay, so he was a marketing manager and sales, vice president of sales. But he's not the one driving. Why, why are we moving so much? So... We would be targeted areas that needed support in their mm-hmm. sales force. Oh, okay. And so he was the the top level management that would help the dealers at the trucking dealership mm-hmm. make production, sell, get now, your quotas. Yeah. So you said Chicago, Boston, and where? New Jersey. New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, why Chicago? Why do you call Chicago home? I like Chicago, <laughs> and most and and my, both my parents are from Chicago. Originally, okay. So, so originally, all the family was from Chicago. You, you still had family so then. Still have family there. Right. Um, but I graduated from high school in New Jersey. Okay. So the family moved. We moved twelve times in twenty years. Mm-hmm. So moving was kind of bohemian lifestyle. Easy for me. I enjoyed moving. Okay. I, uh, it's a new adventure every time you move. Mm-hmm. So. Finding friends, though. Was, how about socially? Um, I would usually gravitate to a very small group of mm-hmm. friends, and I like to study, so schoolwork mm-hmm. was important. Okay. Um, graduated high school in New Jersey and went to University of Delaware two years and quit. Okay. Um, tired of the academia and the expectations and the next nine years I drove a truck worked on a fishing boat and played professional polo really mm-hmm. I didn't know any of with this. a scattering of universities across the country mm-hmm. 
So after that time frame and playing polo out here in California and Indio and back in Chicago, um, pretty much the lifestyle that I had grown up with and that I liked required a college education. So I went back to Chicago and finished nursing school. Let me stop. So wait a minute. First of all, one of the cities that, that flashed in my head was Indio. I have a buddy, Indio, California. Mm-hmm. Is that what yeah. Yeah, there's a, it's a big horse culture out Empire there. Empire right? Polo Club. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, because I have a buddy out there, and his um, wife is an equestrian. Oh, she's not out there. She's in San Jose now, but they always talk about, like, traveling to Indio and, mm-hmm. it, like, big events and stuff that happen out there she, she likes to go to. Um, the other thing that um, I'm trying to get back to is the tired of academia. <clears throat> Because I can understand that I, I've had you know a similar experience when it came to figuring out what I wanted to do after high school, right? And a lot of folks don't you know either don't share those experiences or just keep trying to push through, right? And, and even if you're struggling or whatever the issue is, but I graduated high school when I was 16 years old, and at that point, I remember just before graduation, I remember sitting down with my father um, and saying, "I don't want to graduate." I don't want to go. I, yeah, I had the grades for it and everything. And I said, I just don't want, I want another year. I'm 16, right? So socially you got these issues. You got, uh, you know, kids with full beards running track against you and everything. I'm like one more year and and things would be so much different for me now. Um, so um, then I just kind of went to De Anza Community College and just kind of just tried. You know, I said, how many units do I have to have in order to, okay, well, just give you those units and I'll go to work. You know what I'm saying? I started my first business when I was 17, the year next, the year after that, trying to figure out how to be an entrepreneur. So I was making decisions about trying to get away from academia, as you say. But the thing that really triggers me is that you said, Earlier on, you love books, you you love reading, you love learning. So what does that mean, tired of academia? I think it was the construct of formal academia. Mm -hmm. So school has evolved quite a bit from the Mm. 60s and the 70s, where you had to fit a mold. Sure. And now that mold is kind of loose. Okay. And different learning styles are encouraged versus trying to keep everybody in the same box. I love it. So um, while I am, um, as you'll find out, military minded and follow the rules, Mm -hmm. learning styles are important for everybody. 100%. And it just, and I got to the point where I was an adult, a young adult. I didn't have to follow those rules. And so that's <laughs> why I had the same conversation with my father. Okay. I did graduate mm-hmm. high school, but I did not want to go to college. Mm-hmm. I wanted to work. I enjoyed my work and I would go to a community college. I didn't need to go to the university. It's the best time of your life. You'll love it. <laughs> and I said, why would I give up my car and my freedom and live in a room with two people I don't know? <laughs> And because it'll be the best of your life. And I and I conformed for two years uh-huh. and I didn't fail out. I just quit. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was told, well, you're on your own. And I said, yeah, thank you very much. I am. <laughs> so that's the constraint of, of academia. I, I enjoy learning and I like 
um, being able to be exposed to new ideas, but the formal construct of old academia in the 60s and 70s was not quite my learning style. You know, in some places, I mean, we were just talking about Stanford. We just took my daughter up there to um, visit. Like, there's still some stricter places when it comes to academia. So let me jump ahead just for a second and, and ask you both as parents now, how would you handle that same type of conversation? Like, Scott, how do you feel about uh, that conversation when it comes to from from your perspective now as a father? Ultimately, the kids have to find their own way. Sure. Find your own way. And figure out what's important to you, what makes you happy, and what's going to, um, we call it flick your trigger. What's mm-hmm. going to make you feel like, yeah, this is this is good. Because if you enjoy whatever you're doing, you're not ever really working. You're enjoying what you're doing. That's right. So that's the important thing. And um, we, we told them that they have opportunities um, because of many things uh, that are available to them. And. You know, make sure you don't just stop at undergrad. If you want to go on something bigger, think the next right, step also, right. like my uncle did for me. And sure. so, but if it's not for you, it's not for you. You can't force it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what about the quote unquote, which Kim obviously took so well, threat of, well, I'm not helping you anymore. <laughs> You're on your own. Like, is that... Um, like some kids take that and just go, oh, no, you know, throwing their hands up in the air and they're crying and, you know, I've been abandoned and and so forth. Would you approach it that I mean, I appreciate your answer. Your answer is, hey, you know, you're you want to do what you want to do, you what you like to do in life and want you to be happy, you know, go ahead. So what is uh, how would you approach is Is that a threat to say you're on your own? It's not a threat. It's I would a, say it's a <laughs> huge opportunity. A huge opportunity for an adventure. <laughs> so if you can support an adventure. If you, yeah, if you who, can. Who, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who, who says you have to put constraints on an adventure? Love it. Right. right. It doesn't mean we have to pay for it. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> right. really my question. Yeah, that's, well, but you say it that way, you know, here are some options for you. And if you want to go this route, this is what your option is. And mm-hmm. if you want to go this route, this is what your option is. And I don't know. It's pretty straightforward. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that conversation because that, you know, from an education standpoint, that, that really matters. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when we have these conversations, you never know where they might go. And some that sometimes the conversation goes into how many times somebody has been fired right before they started, you know, their own business or whatever. And uh, but you can learn from any in all experience. The only time firing is a failure is when you don't learn from it. And That's right figure out what you need to do different next time. Ignoring squills and warning lights on your car is not a good way to lower the cost of owning it. And going without essential business insurance is not a good way to save money in your business. What we know for sure is doing either will cost you more than you will save in the short and the long run. With yourinsuranceplace.com, you can trust the specialists to help maintain your cars and avoid major expenses. Business owners should look to business insurance specialists when it comes to finding competitively priced quality insurance coverage for their businesses. At YourInsurancePlace.com, we specialize in workers' compensation, general and professional liability, employment practices and cyber liability, property owner policies, and bonds for most types of businesses. YourInsurancePlace.com knows that we can help. If you're uncovered, 
need to lower the cost of your current insurance, or need better coverage, we can help. YourInsurancePlace.com has been helping businesses for close to 40 years. If you need a quote on your insurance, call us now at 858-569-8100 or find us at YourInsurancePlace.com. We are business insurance specialists ready to help. Hi, I'm Rachel Belt, President and CEO of the Vista Chamber of Commerce. Over the last 20 years, I've had the privilege of living and working in Vista, and I've met some amazing people with amazing stories, and I'm thrilled to bring them to you as part of Velocity, the Vista Chamber podcast, where I interview the movers, shakers, and changemakers impacting the Vista community and beyond. I hope you'll join me as we journey together to hear the stories of the people doing amazing things for our town. Velocity, the Vista Chamber podcast. Find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, friends. This is Joe Samo from the Samo Law Group. I am the host of Run It By My Lawyer. Over the years, I've had so many people that have had legal issues and legal questions and legal concerns. And I always, over the more than 20 years, I've been telling people, before you sign anything, before you do anything, if you have a problem, just run it by my lawyer, <laughs> right? Just run it by me. And now I have a podcast doing just that. You can call me, you can email me, any questions you have, I love hearing from people and answering legal questions. And on our podcast, we've talked about uh, everything from free speech, uh, gun rights, you know, anything you want to discuss, employment rights, everything. So you have an issue, you know, run it by my lawyer and watch this podcast. You'll be entertained and you'll learn the law. Love to see you. You can find me anywhere, okay? Uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, whatever you want. And if you can't find me on some platform, let me know and I'll come find you. All right. Thank you. Business lessons. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Um, any early job experiences? I mean, obviously, if you got these nine years, you you had some jobs here and there as well. I was pretty much an independent contractor every time. I worked okay. for myself. Okay. So you only work as hard as you want, but you never work harder for anybody than you do for yourself. Oh. So your success is based on you. Mm-hmm. Not, you can't blame it on a boss. You can't blame it on the structure. You are either making it or not. Right. So uh, I like working for myself. Yeah. What kind of jobs? though? Well, I was an independent contractor. I didn't own the truck. Mm-hmm. But... I was, I didn't work for a company. I could take I whatever routes I wanted. Um, when I worked on the fishing boat, I didn't own the boat, but I worked for myself so I could show up or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's very um, freeing. Sure. I have never worked a job where I had to punch a time clock. Congratulations. Time clocks and I do not agree. <laughs> Um, how about you, Scott? Um, early jobs? Um, earliest jobs were the usual college as well. Oh yeah. Early jobs in high school mostly were, you know, the usual mowing lawns, landscaping, all that. But my mom and dad would also buy old houses. My dad and I would remodel them. So I learned all this stuff about Mm. ripping out walls, drywall, lumber, framing, plumbing, electrical work. Yeah, all that. 
You fix cabinetry. It, yeah. You're a fix it man just pretty much across the board. Yeah. And then in uh, college, I worked for UPS and for uh, the Chesapeake Railroad. Mm. So uh, on a line gang. Wow. Yep. That's backbreaking work. Huh? Mm. It's interesting. Learn how to climb trees with those jacks they call spurs. Yeah. Like, go up. I was just telling my daughter, I was showing up her, our palm trees, the ones I can't reach with the saw. Yeah. I'm like, we need to get somebody who, who wants to yeah. climb because yeah. I don't want, I'm too old to climb anything. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay. So Kim, you mentioned military and I, I'm really interested for both of you when uh, the thought came to you guys about going, joining the military, when did that come early on or was there like some sort of proposition here or this is the only way I can get through college. Like we've had these kind of stories as well. And so I'm interested in how it comes to you. So for me, I graduated from nursing school. Mm -hmm. Um, My family was very happy that I would have a conventional job, go Mm -hmm. to a hospital every day, Mm -hmm. do the same thing. And that did not appeal to me. So nursing in the military was an option. And the Mm. the Navy was a good fit. So you don't go and do the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. There's well, how, did you know that already? I did not. <laughs> okay. But the idea of the mm-hmm. Navy travel. Okay. And being able to see other parts of the world mm-hmm. and being part of a big team. They do um, recruiting and I was able to go on a couple of recruiting trips and that the Navy was the fit. Solidified. It. So I joined the Navy. I love it. I love it. How about you, Scott? The old-fashioned way. Okay. Uh, undergrad was a private school, and even with all the help I got um, with work study and all that, playing football, um, was still about fifty grand in the hole when I got out on student loans. This is nineteen eighty-four, now mind you. Okay. So, nineteen eighty-five med school was fifty some thousand. Nineteen eighty-four. Put that in today's numbers. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh boy! And my mom was a school teacher, and my dad was unemployed at the time. Okay. So I said, oh, these numbers don't look good. So uh, looked at the military scholarships, and the recruiter for the Navy was very smart. He just rolled out a map, said Bismarck, North Dakota, Air Force, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, Army, San Diego, Seattle. Pensacola, you get the idea? Yeah. It's like, okay, where do I sign? So I literally signed that day. That day? Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, at that point you were old enough, like you you made this decision on your own. Well, my cousin was also at the academy at the time, so he had talked to me a lot about the Navy too. So Mm -hmm. it was was kind of, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. I'll see what happens. And then you did get to travel plenty. Oh, yeah. Both of you, right? Oh, yeah. So we lived overseas for three years in Italy. Um, we moved nine times in 18 we, years. Are, are, are we together at this point yet? Uh, no. When do we, when do we meet? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> so I was an intern at Oakland Naval Hospital, and I was working the ER. It was a Thursday night, and it was about, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the morning or something. And I'd just gotten the last patient discharged, so I said, I'm going to lay down and catch a quick nap. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes. I'm going to be over here. Nurses go, okay, whatever. I know sooner lay down and ding dong. Okay, another patient. Walk over and I see this nurse in her uniform, hair all stunned up. It's like, it's one o'clock in the morning. Shifts end at 11. This is like two hours later. Mm-hmm. So what's the story? And I said, oh, it's a Thursday. 
Someone's trying to get a four day weekend. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, I can't remember exactly what I said. And then. And. And. I was the sick one. I came off shift at one when you're supposed to be done at 11. So it tells you it was a long night. Mm-hmm. I was not feeling well. Mm-hmm. Instead of introducing himself or saying something pleasant. <laughs> He asked me why I looked like I did and why was my hair all messed up? <laughs> no, still up. Still up. Yes. yes. Mm. Why I was still up. Was mm. it because I was in the Navy? And it was mm. like, You're off duty now. Why is your hair still up? Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm, he's trying to hit on me. I could turn my head to throw up or I could just throw up on his shoes. <sighs> so I threw up on his shoes. All right. So made you tried pr- to hit on ma- him. Made an impression. <laughs> so I... Left the bedside and squished back to the deep sink and washed my shoes off and squished back there. And about a month later, I was up on the ninth floor of the hospital and walking one way down a hallway. And here's somebody else walking the other way. And I turn and look at her and go, you. (laughs) And she said, you. (laughs) And a year later, we were married. So there you go. I love it. That's Mm -hmm. uh, you know what? I mean, only you two personalities that would work. Like, you know, (laughs) it's the only, you're the only two people that can make that work. But that was 32 years ago. That's beautiful, man. That's a great story. Okay. So I'm sorry. Let's get back to the travels. Tell me Mm -hmm. more about the military travels, where it's taken you, what what you got to see. Oh yeah. So, um, 22 years I was in, Kim was in for four and we got to live in Italy for three years. I was stationed in some really great places with Pensacola, Panama City, Newport, Rhode Island, uh, San Francisco, obviously here in San Diego, and Paris we, Island. And Paris Island, beautiful, Buford by the sea, Paris Island, yes. Mm. Uh, but I also was. We did a lot of operational stuff. Kim was deployed on the Mercy for ten months uh, during Gulf War One. I. I did do two tours with the SEALs and one with the Surface Navy, one of the Marines. So I got sent all over the place. Literally, we've seen. I, I think the only haven't been to Antarctica yet. Not much of South America. And not much of South America, but we've pretty much seen a lot of the rest of the world. Yeah. yeah. And so that early moving as a kid fit right in with the Navy. Mm-hmm. It's like, great. Yeah. Let's do it. Start to get bored after two years. Let's do something different. How long are we going to be able to keep you here in San Diego? <laughs> well, <laughs> since we started a winery and a vineyard and are building a house, so we're you're good to go for a while. So now, I, now <laughs> I have to go ahead and do the reveal. He got, Dr. Scott got impatient. So let's talk about Dr. Scott. He's a regional medical director for Blue Shield of California. While in the Navy, was responsible for the health care provided on U.S. Navy ships worldwide. And not one, but two tours, as he mentioned, with the Navy SEALs. Senior nurse and clinical nurse supervisor Kim Flynn was awarded the Meritorious Civilian Service Award for her medical services as the Branch Health Clinic COVID-19 team lead in support of the MCRD San Diego COVID-19 operational planning team. I had a I had something I wanted to say about that. It's the third highest civilian award that can be awarded without approval of Congress. Let that sink in. But wait, there's more. Set on 23 acres in the beautiful Ramona Valley wine country is Mermaid Valley Vineyards. And 
Since 2013, Kim and Scott Flynn have been making award-winning wines. And all of these wines they make from the grapes grown on their gorgeous estate. I've been there, I can tell you. Once again, thank you two for being here. Thank you. I appreciate you guys being here. So, um, by the way, how do we get there? So... The long version is when I was growing up, that uncle I told you about, mm-hmm. who was a lawyer, he ended up being lead corporate attorney for Alcoa. So mm-hmm. pretty big wig. He did an overseas tour there. They were five years in Switzerland. And when they came back, they brought back, I don't know how many, hundreds of cases of wine. Mm-hmm. And so when we go over their house, we would visit. We'd have all kind, be able to try all kinds of different wine. He was a gourmet chef. Um all kinds of different wine, different food growing up. So I was like, wow, this is really impressive, uh, interesting stuff. Then when we were stationed in Oakland, um, every weekend I wasn't on call, I went sailing or up to Napa or both. Mm-hmm. And then we were stationed in Italy, obviously traveled all over Europe and drinking different wines there. So we had quite a broad experience of that. And then when we got here, uh, we were wondering you know, what the local wine scene was like. And it was early on in the 2000, we heard 2001. We're like, mm, this is just getting started here. It's interesting. Yeah. And around 2010, I was working in urgent care. And a guy came in with a big cut on his finger. Mm-hmm. So I started sewing him up. I said, oh, how'd you get that? He said, oh, I was working on my grapevines. Oh, really? Where? He said, Ramona. Ramona? Hmm. That's an interesting place to do that. Why are you doing that? He says, oh, it's actually pretty good. You ought to come up and try it sometime. Mm-hmm. So on a blind whim, I took Kim there for her 50th birthday. Okay. And we tasted the wine, and it was wonderful. Mm. It's like, wow, you can do this in Ramona. He's like, yeah, you ought to check out this place, this place, this place. So the guy was actually, his name was Stephen Colley, and he owns Wolf and Rose Winery, and yeah. his wife, Marilyn. And so we always say now the whole reason we end up getting in the wine business is because Steve gave me the finger. (laughs) That's why you tell it the long form of the story. (laughs) So, yeah, and three years later, we finally found the plot of land. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we tried some of our other, we helped out at other wineries, uh, Edwards Winery, Chuparosa, Mm -hmm. uh, and those kind of places and help with heart. Pruning and harvesting and everything that goes into it. And mm-hmm. we're just like, wow, this is really great. Yeah. Uh, we can do this too. Let's, let's go for it. Right. But from a business aspect, I mean, like it's one thing to be, <laughs> to love food and wine. So do you know how you make a small fortune in the wine industry? Please. Start with a large fortune. <laughs> Which we didn't have and don't have. So it's, um, it's a business where you try to break, operationally break even or even make a little money to try to back pay back the huge capital investment Mm -hmm. because unless you're doing it where you're just buying the grapes from somebody and having them done somewhere like a custom crush facility, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of overhead. You've been to the place, you've seen the facility and the equipment required, right? Yes. Yes. So there's quite a bit of capital investment. I see. So it's a long-term project. It's a labor of love. Also again, operationally cash flow positive after a couple of years, but to repay the capital will take some time. Mm Mm-hmm. So what do you love most about it? I mean, you guys are both, you're very hospitable in nature, right? You both are good people, people. 
I don't know. That's why you say it, but that's that's how I how I view you guys. When I get to the tasting room, it's always like home. I mean, it's home. Really, it is a home. It's home. <laughs> it feels very comfortable. So, um, what is it that you guys really are, are enjoying about the experience of of running the the tasting room, the winery? So I enjoy sales. Okay. And if I have a product that I can believe in, mm-hmm. I will cold call. I will sell. I like to promote. And again, there's an adventure. Every time a new taster walks in the tasting room, it's a new adventure. It's a new challenge Mm -hmm. to make them feel comfortable and try to enjoy the product. Mm -hmm. So that's what I enjoy. I bring that to the the partnership. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing like owning your own dirt. And we own our own dirt. Love that. And we know each and every vine. Mm Mm-hmm. And everything that comes with that. <laughs> so that's that's my that's my side. What about the science of it? I mean, I mean, that's also the you know some tough work as well, though, right? Uh, I mean, because I just I have in my backyard, I blue agave tequila plants. No, oh, nice. And uh, these beautiful grapevines. One some white varietal and another Pinot Noir. But I use that for shade. Mm-hmm. But this year, just got all these grapes just coming off of the the Pinot, um, and I was just cutting them down today. I don't know anything about breaks. I don't know anything about science behind any of that. I know they taste sweet. One of the guys told me wait till the seeds are brown and you know whatever. We'll make some jelly out of it or something. I don't make wine. I don't make tequila. It's, these are just things that I I'm into, right? But there's a lot of science that goes into making wine. You can make wine. I mean, I'm sure I could use the grapes I have and do something with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, may not taste like anything or be worth anything. But in order to turn around and make a beautiful bottle of wine like what you guys make, um, you actually have to be willing to put in some energy, right? And, and you know, you got these competitions, you know, people around you who may have a ton of money who are selling a bunch of wine that's not even as good as yours. So what, what's, you know, that's why I'm asking kind of like the love, you know, what do you love about it? If you have to do all this work on the scientific side of things as well, in order to make these award-winning wines. So there's actually two parts to it. One is the vineyard and that's vineyard management. Cause you can buy fruit. Sure. So you, uh, so the vineyard is a gardening part. Mm-hmm. And I love doing that and figuring out how you grow the vines, how you train them, how you fertilize them, how do you prevent disease, um, when's the right time to harvest, how they taste, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and so that's the vineyard part. Mm-hmm. And then the grapes come in, and then comes the winemaking part. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, the vineyard part, soils, fertilizer, soil analysis, petiole analysis, which is the opposite leaf from where, that's the stem of the opposite leaf from where the bunch is. You get 50 of those, send them away for analysis. You get a nutritional analysis feedback to see how the vines are doing. Mm-hmm. That's the scientific part of it, amongst mm-hmm. other things. And then the winemaking part is, okay, um, two things. First of all, you can't make – you make bad wine from good grapes, but you can't make good wine from bad grapes. So sure. you got to have good fruit, um, whether you grow it or buy it. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is when you're, when you're making the wine that – Picking decision, when's the right mix of the acid and the flavor and the sugar to mm-hmm. where it's ready to go? Mm-hmm. And then once you do, then you're off. And then the fun starts. 
adding the yeast and the yeast food and the stuff that helps it go and takes about seven to 10 days to ferment and you press it off and then you age it. And what do you age it in? And what kind of yeast do you use? What kind of yeast food do you use? What kind of this and all? I mean, one of these days I'm going to put a decision board up in the winery of all mm. the decisions that goes into that glass of wine. Yes. And it's, it's literally hundreds. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty fascinating stuff. It is. Great science project. Yeah. If you're into With it. art into it. Yeah. Because ultimately what matters is how does it taste? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately that's all the customer gets. They could care less what bricks it was, <laughs> yeah. what the TA was, what the pH was. It's mm-hmm. all about how does it taste. Right. Right. Elias, I got an idea. We're going to do a podcast. It's called Industry Insights. That's what everybody's doing these days, like a podcast, a podcast. But yeah. who are we going to target? What? Well, this one is different because this one's going to target content creators. Content creators? So that means film, television, animators, AI artists, everything, huh? Yeah, all of them. We can inspire all of them. We'll bring some high caliber people in here. Not only will they learn how to get into the industry, but how to be successful. But the thing is, it's sponsorship. We have to go after things. And, and how are we going to do that? Yeah, the Film Hub. We're going to sponsor it. We'll do it right here at the Film Hub in sponsor? downtown Vista. It's yeah, we'll sponsor it too. Great. Yeah, we got the podcast studio right here. We got stages, whatever you want to use. We got it here. And right here in film-friendly Vista. Where else would you do it? And you know where they can listen to it? Where? Go YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcast. What about Metaverse? Meta what? <laughs> what? <laughs> San Diego beer lovers, come join us on the Pioneer Beer Trail, a free narrated tour of four of Vista's iconic craft brewers, all from the convenience of your phone. Simply download the free show at vistamadetours.com or find Vista Made Tours on your favorite podcast provider like Spotify or iTunes. Then fire up the show and you'll hear fascinating backstories, beer favorites, and food recommendations from the brewers themselves as you travel from spot to spot. It's free, fun, and the easiest way to learn about some of Vista's originals, including Booze Brothers, Belching Beaver 980, Aztec, and Five Suits. So come travel the Pioneer Beer Trail at vistamadetours.com or from wherever you find your podcasts. So, you know, what's interesting, too, you were mentioning um, <clears throat> the tasting that you've done around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting to me is the change in how tasting rooms have been working over the past few years. Right. And then um, Ramona seems to be something, you know, because of how long they've been doing it. Um it's a little easier, more accessible than other places, right? Like Napa and Sonoma or something. This is, everything's by appointment now. And I understand that, you know, so much of it burned down that it's even more strict, you know, now and harder to get into unless you're industry or something. Um, Central Coast is starting to adopt that kind of a, you know, a method, methodology. So my question uh, is, you know, what is it about, how, how do you, how do you still, salvage that taste that good tasting room experience if things are changing so much compared to how they were before well well one of the things also uh remember that back in the 80s when we were going up there the napa was like i won't say like ramona but you could walk into tasting rooms everywhere you could sit down and talk to the winemaker right right it wasn't until 
nineties in the nineties somewhere when things started to get silly. Um, so we're used to that kind of experience and that's kind of the experience we want to have with folks. Um, so, uh, but you also don't want to completely overwhelmed and we also have the COVID issue, et cetera. So there's right. plenty of stuff to think about, but really it's about enjoying the wine and enjoying the time. That's what you do it for. So that's why we're still on that model. Um, also we're a, a very new AVA American Viticultural Association designation. Mm-hmm. So being one of the newest places with just beginning to blossom, how long has Napa been there? Right? How right, long has sure. the Central Coast been there? Sure. San Diego actually had the most grape vines in the 50s, believe it or not. I didn't know that. Escondido Grape Day Festival, there's a reason. Okay. Yeah. So um, as San Diego shrunk in grape production and it moved up north and more land here in San Diego was developed for housing, uh, it's just the way it evolved. So this is kind of a rebound, you know, but in a different area of San Diego than historically it had been done. Yeah. Yeah. How about um, varietals, the choices of varietals um, that you guys have put together? Like I said, I mean, I, I didn't know of another Viognier. Um, yeah. So the climate in Ramona is similar to southern France, Italy, that kind of okay. area. So we said, boy, if we have that kind of climate then why would we plant northern grapes like Cab and Chardonnay and Gewurz, Meaner, Rieslings, right? They probably aren't going to do well here. Pinots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? I think people do that just because they're popular varieties. Because right? everyone knows Cabs and yeah. Chardonnays. Yeah. So they do it. And, and you know, sometimes the Cabs do okay here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know one Pinot that was actually pretty good too. But in general, that's not what you want to plant around here. Um because it's warm. The closer they get to on the coast, the cooler it is and the better it is for those kind of varietals. So sure. there are some people that can still do that and that's fine. But we decided, you know, let's focus on Southern Rhone style wines because that's the climate. Yeah. And that's the region uh, we try to pattern ourselves after. It's called Chateau de Pop. You may have heard of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, world-class wine. And it's Grenache-based GSM, Grenache mm. Ramavedra. So that's what we started with. And, and you guys know Grenache. Yes. And so, and some of the stuff you blend with it is called Sinso, and there's some Kunwa, and there's some Tanat. Mm-hmm. And those are all blending grapes you put in there. And then for the whites, what does, um, what's the common whites in the area? It's Marsan, Roussan, and Viognier. And most people have heard of Marsan and Roussan, but not Viognier. Mm-hmm. And Marsan and Roussan aren't really our favorite flavor profile. They're a little more floral, I would say. Um, and the Viognier is a little more fruit character to it. So that's yeah. the one we decided to go with. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, the, the, you see them a lot more as blending though, don't you? Blending grapes? Marsan Roussan? No, yeah. they're often done as single varietals single variety. for okay. white wine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, Kim, can you brag a little bit about these awards? The how Your award-winning wines? Tell us about the ones that have, have been um, winning Toast of the Coast this year, which mm-hmm. is the uh, wine competition at the San Diego County Fair. Mm-hmm. The 2018 GSM got double gold and best of San Diego County for red blend. Beautiful. Very happy about that. Very. The 2018 Zinfandel received a silver from Sunset Magazine. Happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Finger Lakes. What did we get for the Finger Lakes? I think Silvers. we got a bronze or a silver. Now, Orange County got a bunch of medals there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so the this the siren song, this GSM blend was our second gold double gold that we've had. Our first one was our dessert wine that you may have had that late harvest Zinfandel. Yes. Yeah. So that was our first double gold, and that was so. This is our second one, and um, really cool to see that uh, some of the critics are recognizing that here in Ramona we can do decent wine. That's absolutely true. I love it. I love it. So, um, but okay. So now help me with this. I know you guys got to leave. We still have these day jobs. So now we got this balance, right. Of, of work. Um, how, how and why, how, what goes into the decision? I understand you, what you say about profit margins and everything with, you know, running a winery and all, um, maybe that's the, you know, the thoughts about the future, the planning and all of that. Um, how do we keep the day job? Why do we keep the day job? What, what was the planning in, in when it comes to, to all of that? Because there are some, still some folks out there that are trying to do two things and have a vision or something or want to pivot and don't know when to stop doing this and start doing this or just keep doing what they're doing and, and start their other job. So how, how does that thought process go? Well, for me, it goes back to the very beginning of go to a job you like every day. I love it. I still like my job. Okay. Every day. Yes. Um, some more so than others, <laughs> but every day, again, it's an adventure, something new. Mm-hmm. Now there is a lot of repetition, mm-hmm. but there, I learn something new every day. I look to learn something new every day. Same with the vineyard. Um, the beautiful thunderheads that are developing. Are we going to get rain? What's that going to do to the vineyard? Yeah, yesterday that was bananas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The double rainbows. What, uh, you know, what critters are going to come out because maybe we have more rain. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's every day. It's an adventure. Mm-hmm. And we're striving to live on the property so we can be right there. And that decreases commute time. Sure. To and from the house and the winery. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, though, too, right? like uh, making that decision to to live on, on the premises. I mean, everything is just right there. I mean, that's that's I mean, it's, it seems ideal. Yeah, we think so. Yeah, I think that was so. the vision. Yep, yeah, it was always the vision. That's yeah. the plan. OK. Yeah. yeah. When we bought the property, it was to have the vineyard and winery there along with our home. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did we put the vineyard and winery in first so we can get yeah. that up and get that going? Because yeah. it takes vines three years before they're making a crop. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that that was. Yeah, it's three years. Yeah, because it's, it was. Uh, this is not uh, no disparaging uh, uh, remark intended, but this is not making beer. Sure. <laughs> this is making wine. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's not an instant gratification thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a long much longer turnover. We age our wine three years in barrel. Most commercial places do about 18 months. We do three years. Okay. So we, we're a small boutique winery. We're handcrafting the wine. We can take that time and, and make it that way. Mm-hmm. And when you pencil it out for the business plan, that works to get your cash flow positive. It just takes time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, so how about that decision, the day job decision? Oh, so I'm going to be doing that for a while. Um, uh, building a new house. And mm-hmm. um, that, and you know just what happens. Uh, decision. Yes. Okay. Well, but I also like my job you too. Do like your job. Yeah, my ideal thing is uh, when I'm seventy, I'm still seeing some patients and still doing the wine thing. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so then how do we balance? Uh, because this is another piece of the conversation that we always have, uh, you know, for our listeners is the balance of business and pleasure. And I, and I feel like you guys—that's what the whole logo is all about, right? The suitcase, and then 
Oh, you also yeah. got yeah, you got the sunglasses, right? The, it's it's the same business. We got to enjoy what we do. That's really what this conversation is about, right? And that's why we celebrate the successes of the folks who are doing it. But you have to have some sort of a balance. But I imagine there's, there's got to be. I mean, I know when I see you guys in the tasting room, there, you know, that feels like a casual atmosphere for me. Maybe it's a little bit more work for you guys, but. Um, how else do we balance business and pleasure? I know you guys are big swimmers usually. I know you've, you've had some shoulder issues. And- yeah, well, the thing with, with this business, right? We're in this business. So if we want to go to France for a trip, <laughs> it's business. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we want to go to Spain or mm-hmm. Argentina or Chile, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> we, we both have very big personalities. I know. We both are rather. <laughs> That's why I laughed after yes. the intro where you yes. guys just stared at me. <laughs> we uh, both are relatively type A and mm-hmm. out there, but Scott has done a very good job with date night once a week. Oh, okay. So um, it's a lot of work, two big personalities. We don't always agree on things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we remove ourselves from the day job, and the vineyard, because it can be all consuming, mm-hmm. and go somewhere, like the movies, mm-hmm. once a week. And we have to plan it. There's a lot of planning that is involved. Mm-hmm. Um, that helps tremendously. Yes. So, dinners, date nights, concerts, music, art galleries, looking at junk at flea markets. You mentioned art. Mm-hmm. You guys are collectors. I mean, full disclosure, I'm your insurance broker. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess you know. <laughs> so that was also what I was going to say about uh, building the home on the premises. I was like, I, I don't remember that being part of the plan, but it was always part of the plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But so, okay. So, um, but you guys love art. You do love art. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's got to be part of also the finding the time to, relax and, and have to find some pleasure, even though, you know, you're working hard every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big art collectors. What do you like? What's, what's, what's the art that you're, you're out there? Receiving? Well, Scott's currently putting together a chandelier from Prague that we bought 30 years ago. Putting it together. Mm-hmm. Mr. Fix it. Well, it came in a box with all the pieces. Because <laughs> um, that's how they shipped it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And our house burned down in 2003. So we have started over with our art collection. Okay. But luckily the chandelier is stored at my mother's house in Pittsburgh. So it was escaped the fire. So we still have it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And luckily I wasn't an insurance agent when it (laughs) burned (laughs) down. No. Um, We have some sculpture. Mm -hmm. We have some original paintings. Yeah. Uh, So we buy art because we like it, not because it fits in the house. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, but you put some up in, in even in the tasting room, and, mm-hmm. and it, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the furniture is a little eclectic mm-hmm. that we have. Mm-hmm. So, yep, yeah. each piece is functional but has a story. That's right. That's right. And going to a wine tasting room should always have a story. I mean, from my experience, I, I love it when they you know they tell more. It's, it's great to hear a story about the wine as well, right? Tasting notes, we can talk all of that. But you know, you can tell some folks after a certain point, it's just kind of rote, right? It's just and just tell you what's in it is tobacco is caramel taste that one. Here's the next one. Right. But then there's uh, something else when there's tell me about 
remember the rains a couple of years ago and then now and then this grape and then 18 months later and now we're talking, you know what I'm saying? Now we're having a conversation and there's a story there. And so the same thing for the, you know, the atmosphere as well. Uh, so I love that. And I get that every time I, I go visit you guys. I need to come back. Okay. So um, anything else you want to share? How about a business lesson from you, Scott? <laughs> Put you on spot for a business lesson. Uh, okay. That, and not the, <laughs> that one was, that one was a tough one to hear. <laughs> How do you make a fortune? <laughs> yeah, make a small fortune. Yeah. I'll give you the other one. You know why they call it farming? Why? Because the other F word was taken. <laughs> farming is not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. For example, this year, I don't know if you remember, uh, we had that one frost in April, early April. Mm-hmm. And usually frost can be hazardous to the vines, but ours hasn't really sprouted yet, so it was okay. Then May 9th and 10th, I don't know if you remember, it got kind of chilly everywhere. We actually were down to about 27, mm-hmm. and we lost about 60% of the crop. Wow. So it's like, okay. The good news was that our Grenache and Sarama Vedra, which we make our GSM with, were all fine. Mm-hmm. And some Zinfandel was fine and all that. So we can really focus our efforts really specifically on our GSM, the mm-hmm. Siren Song, and really um, focus on That's the good part of it. The bad part is I lost 60% of my crop. Right. So three years from now, that's 60% of my potential cash flow. Yeah. So um, plan for the worst, execute for the best, figure it out, and make sure your business plan has some leeway in it for when things don't go exactly as planned. A lot of people, we didn't have the income in the winery for 10 months because of COVID, mm-hmm. right? How do you plan for that? You don't, but mm-hmm. you should figure out what your contingencies are when things don't go the way you want them to. Mm-hmm. I want to say one thing though, when it comes to COVID too, that's what, that what um, just you saying that word just reminds me um, that our senior nurse here was the one that told me, Hey, just do this, this, and this, and you'll be fine. And that was the only thing that made me feel uncomfortable because, you know, you're hearing voices from everywhere. And I know how many people that she was, I mean, we saw the award. We, you know, we know how many people uh, she's been helping and, and that uh, gave me some peace. So thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, guys, we got a couple business lessons on the way out. We're going to use um, the last one that Dr. Scott just told you is plan for the worst and execute for the best. Another one that he mentioned um, Find a find yourself in a business that allows you to do what you'd like to do, whether it's travel or other things, or business. Another one from Kim Flynn: Work as hard as you want, but never work harder than you would for yourself. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. I like that one a lot. That, that's that's awesome. That was awesome. Okay, I really appreciate you guys making the drive. I uh, really do. I, I know that this is a, a distance for you guys, and I know you got other things going on. So, if please. If I may, this is another um, plug also. Yes. We, we just live in Ramona. Mm-hmm. I know most people that are around the five think it's Arizona, but it's just <laughs> Ramona. Sure. Okay, it took us 30 minutes to get here. Okay. In this day, it's not that far. Good, just good. Come up the hill. Come see us. That's right. That's right. Absolutely go see them. Now, you can look them up on their website, mermaidvalleyvineyard.com. Okay, and go visit them on Highland Valley Road in Ramona. I ride my bike up there, guys. You can do it. Uh, If it's not a Saturday, just call them and make an appointment at 760-315-9011. 
As always, we invite you to like and subscribe us on at Same Biz Pod, S-A-M-E-B-I-Z-P-O-D, and at A Different Day Radio. Thanks to our guests, and thank you to all the listeners and supporters. Same business, different day.